category of natural awareness questions that had to do with what we call it. So someone says, is natural awareness the same as pure awareness? Someone else says, to me, natural awareness is embodied as presence. Did I get this right? And then next to that is, is in natural awareness, are we in the body or experiencing the spatial quality of being one? So there's lots and lots of different ways of talking about natural awareness and different teachers call it different things. Um, It can be called awakened awareness. I have heard pure awareness. Uh, natural, well, natural awareness, nature of mind. Um, there's so many different words for it. And, and so you'll probably encounter something that's similar along your journey and you might say, oh, maybe that was what Diana was calling natural awareness. And, and I just chose that particular word because I felt like it got at that quality of how it's so innate to all of us. And that's why I really liked the term natural awareness. Um, but, it, but one thing to stress is it's not, well, let's say this, it's, it is an embodied presence. It's not a um, conceptual thing. Sometimes we experience it quite visually and it can feel like it's happening in the space in front of us, but we can also experience it from a very embodied place so that the natural, we're, we're experiencing a sense, and someone else, someone here called it presence, and we're experiencing it from the inside out and that it might be that you feel that you feel both embodied and spacious simultaneously. So there are different ways. Like remember last night when I was talking about it, I was saying there are different people have different experiences of it. And so just to to acknowledge that. Um, so someone asked an interesting question about: Does natural awareness require some concentration, or are they two opposing states? I really connected with the natural awareness sitting this morning and had an epic experience. However, I'm grappling with the notion that being present is truly effortless. It felt effortless in my sit, but I still set myself up to have that experience. If natural awareness is truly natural, wouldn't we be naturally aware all the time? (laughs) Really good question. Okay, so I want to clarify. When I set those parameters and I said it's from narrow to spacious, it, it's, it's just, and from effortful to effortless, it's one way to talk about it, object-based to objectless. Um, but it's, it's not perfect, but now that I'm perfectly imperfect, doesn't matter, right? <laughs> um, it's not a perfect description because the, what you probably saw was it does take a little effort to get yourself over into effortless awareness. Right? You took, it, ha- it took some effort to be effortless. And what, if you were practicing with it and you were feeling sort of connected to the spacious awareness and then suddenly you notice that your mind got lost in a thought or you started thinking about lunch or whatever, you had to take a little effort to bring it back into resting. Right? So there is an element of effort that is involved in being effortless. So this is, this is important and it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong and that there's this like perfect state of effortless awareness that's happening all the time. There are, there are times in natural awareness practice where you might, it might feel incredibly effortless. Like there's nothing I can do to not be aware. I'm just aware. That happens. And then it's the effort feels really, really uh, very, very, very relaxed. Um, 
But the, it's more right now, as when you're starting to learn it, you're going to do something, use a little effort to help you access it. So that's why the glimpse practices, which I talked about, you can kind of throw in into your meditation and, and use, use them to help you go practice with it. Um, maybe I'll just do one more. Oh, so sometimes we feel like we're connecting to natural awareness and it's not wide open and spacious. It might be more just kind of present in front of, like right here in the moment with another person. We're going to explore what it means to be in awareness with another person in, the mo- in, in a moment. So the reason I teach a lot of these wide open practices is to break our habits in meditation. Many people, so some of you are very new, but many people have been practicing with a very focused attention. And so I teach these spacious practices to kind of counteract that. And that often can help us just find a more place of ease and and connect with the natural awareness. But sometimes, so someone has this question. I hope I can read their handwriting, but hold on. Uh, Where'd it go? I find that when I look at the bee, and I love the bee, and the bee is me, et cetera, et cetera, I have uh, something. (laughs) I have a grounding and safe experience. When I try peripheral vision, expansive space approach, I get in an existentially alarming state with nausea. Should I stick to the bee and just be? <laughs> or does that nausea s- subside? And then there's a little picture of a bee. Um, so, so sometimes natural awareness can, can feel like a kind of intimacy with something, like an intimacy with an animal or a bug or a tree. And, and that, yes, it's more object-based. You're kind of entering into the territory of the other awarenesses, but when it's resting and present and this just this sense of ease and well-being coming in connection with the bee, you're doing great. If you open up and you feel, well, here's a tip in meditating. If you do something and you're practicing mindfulness and you get nauseous, don't do it. (laughs) It's a very simple tip. Um, We want to do what leads towards more sense of of well-being. So, so natural awareness, it's, it's, it's an interesting territory. There's, there's a lot to say here. I try to cover it a lot in the book that I have, but, um, but it, there's a lot to learn and to experiment, but also really, I love that perfectly imperfect. We're not going to be masters of this technique anytime soon, but we're going to be loving and compassionate to ourselves wherever we are. So, how about you? You just grab, pick one for me. Uh-oh. Just don't look at them, just grab, just anyone. <laughs> okay, thank you. You can, you can go like that if you want. Okay, do you recommend standing meditation for kids 
when, what age, what type, focus, investigate, resources, articles, books, any problems <laughs> would be anticipated from the meditation. A retreat's a good idea. We do have a family program and we do have a family retreat. So yes, retreats are a good idea. And there's mindfulness schools and mindfulness being taught with children in kindergarten. And it's actually helping them adjust in terms of being more focused, more present, connecting with their peers. So yes, and the recommendations I would I would Google that, sorry, because I don't have that. Unless you can add, you have a teen book that's out there. Thank you. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so standing meditation is great for kids because, because um, kids are so active, it's hard to get them to sit still. So standing and walking movement meditations are wonderful. Um, you said kindergarten, but I actually think like second or third grade is better, that they're gonna have more ability to practice. I think most of the research is done kind of like second and third up. There are people doing it with preschool and younger, but um, it's more they've discovered that it's training the teachers to be working with mindfulness <laughs> so that they can be really present with the little ones. And they're already really mindful, right? Like little kids are so mindful. But as they get older, there's so much, there's a lot of good programs and there's, um, there's, gosh, um, you might look at the Mindful Child, um, Mindful Schools. I'll, you know what I'll do? I'll make a list of kids and mindfulness resources and I'll stick it on the board at some time before we go. I think you need another question because I sort of answered your question. Okay, you should pick it, not me. Okay. I love the outdoors, so I thought being being awareness would be simple outside. I find the world triggers thoughts rapidly. I get caught in the chatter of, oh, isn't this beautiful, instead of a quiet experience. Do you have any suggestions to being present outdoors? I mean... I feel like we've been, you know, the, what we've been practicing here has really been a great um, setup for being outdoors and just being with, you know, the chatter arises, you notice, you're taken by the beauty. And, you know, then it may go right into a story or a memory. And, you know, again, it's how do we react to that moment? How do we relate to that moment? And I would, I personally would bring it back. It's everyone's a little different. Diana can actually give, or anyone on this team can give their perspective, but I come back to my anchor. And, you know, if I'm, because we're training, I come back to my anchor and pause, you know, and just allow the thoughts to be there, even maybe naming it, and then noticing the story as a story, or a memory as a memory. I don't force it away push it away, I just be with it and then gently come back to grounding with that anchor, pause, be, and then just, you know, be with whatever arises again. That's how I practice with nature. And you'll notice 
that something comes flying by or another thought or you hear something that sounds loud coming down the hill and it's just, you know, a lizard. So it's amazing where the mind goes with that, you know, and I, it's the same practice as you would do on the cushion that you do outside. And it's the same practice that you do off the cushion. I practice, I teach a lot about being off the cushion and being out, you know, in relationship to others and in work and in daily life and an opportunity to bring mindfulness to those practices of, you know, washing the dishes, you know, having a conversation that is igniting you and you feel your reactivity coming up, mindfulness, that anchor comes in really handy in that moment, grounding, and then just noticing the reactivity as you're in relationship in that moment with another in a conversation. So it takes, you know, in time, you build that skill, that type of mindfulness. And um, I do believe in bringing, you know, what we practice on the cushion, off the cushion, to our daily lives and in relationship with others. Hope that's helpful. Anyone else want to say anything? No? Thank you. Do you have one? So um, there are obviously a lot of great questions, as we've said. Um, And I find I've, you know, I'm in this interesting space of holding the body here. And what I find really kind of funny in a sense is that sometimes I feel like by teaching and experiencing embodiment or being in the body, what we're doing is sort of a side door or a different kind of portal to the mind or another entryway into our hearts. And so there's been some really great questions and even in in one-on-one interviews about aches and pains and is it the body? Well, is it the body? Or aches and pains and discomfort, is it in the heart? Well, I, you know, that affects the body too. Or aches and pains, is it in the mind? Or, you know, tightness in the mind, tightness in the body, tightness in the heart? I couldn't tell you. Uh, because I've spent, you know, and all of us have spent a number of decades now Uh, watching, observing, being with all of the facets that we all um, shine forth with, let's say. So when I say I hold the body, it's kind of a yes and not really. It, (laughs) as I hope that you're, that many of you have been seeing. So there's this question that I want to, that I picked that is kind of a little bit uh, indicative of many of the questions that we've received. And before I say this, I just want to say that as an observer of bodies, an observer of body language in myself and in others, when Alex um, asked the question about who is feeling a little bit more vulnerable or tender, 
everybody's hand raised very differently than are you feeling restless or are you ready? I don't remember exactly what the questions were. But when he asked about the tenderness, is any, are, are any of you feeling tender or vulnerable? Hands went up like this. They didn't shoot up. And I thought, wow, that's really an interesting observation because what we're finding uh, as we unfold in all these different ways and that Diana and, and the process of open and more focused awareness show us is that uh, we do become more tender and vulnerable and we're connecting. And so whether we connect to ourselves through the body or the heart or the mind, you know, or all three at once, and, you know, this is, this is the exploration. So the question is, how does one get to posture, to a posture that is self-sustaining? Well, there is no such thing because everything's shifting and changing all the time. And it's a, it's a beautiful question. Don't we want to give ourselves and everybody we love something that will last and won't bring some sort of discomfort or pain? Yeah, we do. But can we be tender when we're feeling it ourselves or, or witnessing someone else? Yes, we can. And so then this person goes on to say, where do where where the kinks don't come from so how can we find a posture that we can sustain or is it self-sustaining where the kinks don't come from well we we are very aware that we have a mind that will kink <laughs> and how does the when you, when you sense your mind kink what i feel in my, my when my mind contracts it, i feel it in my head and sometimes we feel our eyebrows draw together. And when the mind gets a little tight, that will echo in the body somewhere. And we know that, right? We're, we're sensing this. Same with the heart. So uh, how can we find a place where the kinks don't form and where the bones hold one up rather than knotted muscles. Well, again, because everything's shifting and changing, including we're aging as we sit here, sorry to tell you. <laughs> the body is shifting and changing, the mind is shifting and changing, the heart is opening and maybe hiding, and so there is nothing that's going to stay the same. Damn, Jill, why'd you pick this question? <laughs> and then here's, I think, a very telling part of the question, so the person that asked the question has a really good sense of what, what we've been exploring and, and what I'm pointing out right now. Is it a relaxing of the mind that allows this? Isn't that a beautiful question? So there's probably been times when we've all had a relaxation of the mind. That could be that spacious awareness. It could be through concentration but the mind lets go a little bit, it relaxes. And you may have felt that when the mind relaxes even just a little bit, that you don't sense as much discomfort in the body. Maybe there's still some. Some of us have you know, some real physical issues that we have to live in, live with, be with. Or when your heart opens a little bit, and that's that, that sort of tenderness, you know, like, yeah, I'm feeling tender. Well, how does that affect your body? Can you feel it kind of juice it up? Soften it? It gets a little bit moister, maybe a little just more resilient or relaxed. 
You hear how when I'm talking about it, my voice is changing? So if I talk to you from this place of tenderness, my eyes will get moist, my body will soften a little bit. And I also know that what I'm sharing with you and what we're all sharing has more in common than it does difference, although we are unique differences. So yeah, it's the relaxing of the body too. Because as you've been seeing through the movement and just by being here, whatever you're doing, stretching or rearranging or taking a different form or shape, that as you open the body, that also facilitates a relaxing of the heart and facilitates a relaxing of the mind. You can breathe more, get more air, more breeze, more uh, light, maybe more softness. So I think this is a really beautiful question and I thank whomever wrote it and there were very similar ones too. But that's why I have to laugh now when I look back at what I said about holding the body. Yeah, I'll hold your body. Sort of. <laughs> but you know exactly what that means now. Or you open the, the portal to knowing what comes in through the body and the heart and the mind and how all the facets reflect each other. So thank you. And thank you for, for being here. It's just so moving. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.